The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where we're always trying to bring you back to your superpowered self. Joining me today is a special guest with a unique story. Jacob Cooper is a clinical social worker, a certified Reiki master, and a certified hypnotherapist who specializes in life regression therapy, working privately with clients through online services. Ooh, I may need you. Inspired by his near-death experience and transformative encounters, he facilitates spiritual awareness and empowerment through life-changing seminars. He resides and practices in Long Island, New York, and he's the author of Life After Breath, published by Waterside Productions. Welcome to the show, Jacob. My honor and great pleasure to be with you, Dr. Taz. Thank you. Well, you know, we were talking before we jumped on, and this is a, an area that fascinates me. In fact, my children and I were talking about this, and one is very skeptical, and it's like, well, why do you think there's life after death? And the other one is, you know, very like, oh, yeah, there's definitely life after death. So talk to us a little bit about your book, Life After Breath, and how it centers on your experiences and your story, and what you want us all to learn from it. Mm-hmm. You know, so my book, you know, a lot of people know me as a near-death experience guy, but I think my life's work was to not be defined by my near-death experience or defined by a story, but rather to find ways to define it. And so I talk about my near-death experience, but I also talk about what life was like from a psychosociological developmental perspective and how that impacted, you know, my life. And the goal is for this story to not be mine, but for others to find ways to kind of see symmetry in their own experiences through my own. Wow. So, and you wrote this book and it just got released and you told me it's the number one, uh, number one bestseller right now. So congratulations for that. But how do you, so this is, the book is based on your experience, which happened very early in your life. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So this, this, my near-death experience, I was the age of three and I had um, a, a highly contagious upper respiratory infection called pertussis, or generically yep. known as whipping cough. And I went up on a ladder onto a slide in a park. And on the top of the ladder, I suffocated and lost all breath. And there was nothing going on. And uh, all parts of my body, you know, shut down. And once literally my body shut down and I felt my brain deprived of oxygen, literally snapped in half. Mm. Once my brain cracked in half, you know, that's when kind of God and spirit came in uh, on, a, on a literal basis. And so I had a lot of experiences with mystical beings and heightened awareness and uh, awareness of past lives and life's purpose. All right. So I got I to gotta hold oh. you there for a second. So you're on a slide, you're three years old, you're going down the slide, you have a cough. You, did you fall or what happened exactly? So I suffocated at the top of the slide and I was going down on the slide wow. and literally- Because of the pertussis, correct? Because of the yes, pertussis compromised. Okay, and at the you. time I had no idea you know, what I had. Right. Um, and literally after suffocation, I felt my two angelic guides push me literally down the slide when there was nothing there. Mm. And I was laying on the ground flatlined and I was able to see my body in a disembodied state uh, just irresponsive to the calls that people were giving to me on that mm. day. So wow. And so I'm assuming they rushed you to the hospital. Were you pronounced, you know, at, at the hospital? Kind of t- walk us through what happens next. I was rushed on an ambulance to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, the frustrating element is I was keenly aware and my senses were heightened. 
and I was trying to call to, I was aware that they're calling my name and my body was not responding. Mm. Um, and so I kind of had an idea of what it's kind of like to be a spirit on the other side where you're trying to communicate, but they don't see or hear you. So that was the most frustrating experience other than, you know, suffocating, which was insanely traumatic. Mm. Uh, but, you know, they rushed me to a hospital and, um, you know, I was irresponsive, but they were able to really, you know, I guess, bring me, bring me back, you know, through. Wow. And, stuff like and that. so someone listening to the story may be like, okay, Jacob, you were, you were three. Are uh, you sure you just didn't eat too much candy and make all this up? Like how, how do we know, how do you know, not us, but how do you know that this, this was real, this is what happened, you know, uh, you know, you were three years old and people question, even adults who have these experience experiences, did did you tell anybody about this experience that you had? And and I do want to talk more about that in itself. But like, how do you answer that that you were three and have such clear recollection and memory of this time? I would say certainly something as traumatic as suffocating. You know, with trauma, you normally have the surrounding events that you hold on to. And you couple that with the euphoric sensation of crossing over to the other side that tends to stick with you. Uh, but also uh, this was an experience that happened not to my physical body, but it was a very magnified soul experience. And so what I say is who we are is before the body, who we are goes on afterwards. It's not defined and produced by the body, just temporarily stored. And so this experience was happening to my three-year-old self, but it was also happening on a deeper level to the sacred eternal observer of the eyes and windows of my own soul. Mm, wow, that's powerful. So why do you think this happened to you and, and where has your life led you since? Like as a three-year-old coming out of that, seeing angels, seeing guides, see, and describe what it's like for us. You know, what is it like, you know, on the other sides and is there another side? So, you know, that's a, going back to the family debate, is there another side? Like, you know, how would you answer those questions? Yes. So what I experienced when I encountered my spiritual guides and I saw hundreds and thousands of angels right in front of me is that the other side, yes, it's, you know, far away. It can be, it could be infinitely feel like it's further away from this reality, but it's also right here overlaying this reality. It's just a thin dim of overlaying layer, you know, or kind of filter right above this reality. So I do believe in the statement that heaven is for real and heaven is right in front of us. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the other point is, um, you know, within, you know, my, my experience, you know, I was able to truly understand that, that once my body went, I was able to have a heightened awareness. And so I do believe in a sense that when we lose our identity, we lose what we kind of hold on to, we're able to, to transform into a whole new different reality. And so sometimes to lose yourself and to find yourself, you have to be willing to lose yourself. Oh, you know, wow. What happened to, to me? Um, I apologize. You asked a very profound second part of that question. Do, do you know... I, just regarding the other side, but there was another uh, very potent point. Well, what like what has transpired for you since? Like, so you saw the other side as a three-year-old. You know, like I read, I'm blanking on his name. You probably know the neurosurgeon who wrote uh, Doctor Eben Alexander yeah, and Yeah, yeah, Proof of right. Heaven and Map of Heaven. Yeah, yes, yeah. So, like, you know, that happened to him post, you know, being a doctor, being a neurosurgeon, all this other stuff. You know, but you're three. 
So how does this now impact your life and how your life events played out? I, I very much elaborate this, you know, on my, in the, in the book that I write and, but my, my journey has been that, um, you know, when I, you know, had the experience, I wasn't able to develop the language or the external portrayal of what happened. I very much have buried it deep within. And so I do believe, you know, when people are quite young, there's an external representation to the world that we have, but there's a whole different underlying, you know, kind of uh, reality that happens on the internalization of life. And so uh, it took me a long time to be able to communicate and develop language uh, to be empowered enough to discuss my experience. Mm. But what really shifted me was reading a New York Times bestselling book in my late teens, early 20s by uh, the author by the name of Betty Aidy, who wrote the book Embraced by the Light. Mm -hmm. uh, that gave me universality, as well as a language to understand what exactly as I had. So it gave me a diagnosis that this was a near-death experience. But prior to that, I just kind of buried it deep within in order to kind of fit in, but eventually the beach ball had to come up to the surface. There was only a certain amount of time that I could bury it deep within uh, to fit in. But so, so you're burying it. So are you having flashes of what happened as you're growing up? Are you having memory or recall of it? Or it's just completely buried in mm -hmm. a story that wasn't being told yet? What their degrees of suppression, repression, but at, you know, it was always there in the background especially early on after that, it was very clear. Um, and so it was right, it was right there, but I really just kind of buried it deep within. And one experience that really kind of, uh, kind of forced me to understand that what I had was, was not really relatable was I had kind of interdimensional communication with the other side in preschool. And I looked to a classmate of mine, I talk about this in the book and he kind of gave me the Dwayne Johnson look, you know, like the people's eyebrow kind of thing. <laughs> what do you want, dude? Mm -hmm. And I felt very isolated and I was like, whoa. And so there was trauma, certainly physically and suffocation, but there was also trauma in insane isolation that I had and kind of feeling like my surroundings was asleep and I felt like I was able to see past this reality. And that was very, very difficult. Mm. So many levels. I'm sure. So what are you hoping this book will do? What are some of the lessons you want people to walk away with based off your story and based off your experience? Like, especially at a time like now where there's sure. pandemic and tension and uncertainty and division and all these words we can use, like, you know, what has your experience and knowing that there's another side, you know, what is it that you really want people to walk away with when they read your book? You know, I find a lot of parallels with my own experience in September of 1993 with what's happening right now. And so my goal is to speak to the times as much as I can. Uh, this book was expedited, you know, in a way to kind of keep it to speak to this time because I do believe people need mm -hmm. uh, hope you know, to, to generate the hope past the pain. And so, uh, you know, my book, the title, Life, Life After Breath, um, kind of speaks to what we're going through with, um, I had a highly contagious upper respiratory infection and now we're seeing that today. And so the impermanence or the finite reality of our physical body is being sped up. And so we can engage that with fear or we could try to utilize that kind of stimuli response to develop purpose and to find ways to maximize uh, and to make sacred of this life. And so from taking away my own breath and my own oxygen 
I was really able to understand the beauty of the breath and how that keeps us here in many ways. And so my goal is to find ways for people when the rug has been pulled from them to find ways to really stand on a whole new rug and to integrate the spiritual and to find purpose past the pain in a way. And how do they, how would you advise them to do that? Like, what are some of the things that, you know, help us all get to that point? You know, now for some people, the rug has been pulled out from under them because of COVID and because they lost loved ones or things like that. For others, we feel shaky because the very values upon which, you know, we were raised or taught or grounded in and our identity in, in our country has been shaken to its core and, and threatened to a certain extent. How, how does, and, and I've been frustrated to be hundred percent honest that in the wake of so much suffering, so to speak, that we haven't heard a spiritual voice come forth collectively and urge us, you know, to have faith, to have hope, to move forward, you know, that we're all in this together. Like you hear it very superficially, but you don't hear it from the spiritual world, like a spiritual leader or religiously, we're not hearing it. At least I don't hear it. Maybe I'm missing it. So, you know, what is it that we should all be latching onto no matter what our experience of the pandemic has been and of racial tensions and of division, you know, what should we be latching onto knowing what you now know? I think it's important to latch on to and acknowledge both parts of ourselves, the part that has eternal awareness, the part of us that's a soul that's infinitely connected to so many beings on the other side, and also the very human part that goes through human things and to not bypass or surpass that part. And so I certainly believe it's a similar storm and everyone's in a unique position, but I think it's important to validate, acknowledge every part that we're on. But I think the more important piece is, like I said before, within the book is to not keep on reiterating the same story, Mm -hmm. um, but to find ways to generate hope past the pain and Mm -hmm. to find ways to make something out of it. If you look at any achiever on an individual or any societal change on a macro basis, it's through turbulence, really, you know, where that change is able to happen. And that's one of the superpowers of resilience is when we have those shakeup periods almost kind of like as a survival skill because the external world is not sufficient to hold on to. We have to tune on to something different in another channel. And I think in a way, more people are doing that, you know, mm-hmm. as a survival skill and then other people have nothing to hold on to. So they're kind of just displacing their own stuff onto other people. And that's what they're latching on to. But I think the biggest message is to understand that from my near-death experience that what's inside of us is infinitely greater than the challenges in front of us. And oh my goodness, I love that. And I wish we all can latch onto that idea and to that concept and and keep forward that way. I think we all have a knowing, right? We all have a deep knowing. And I think things like ego and, and self-interest and fear sometimes, you know, interact with that very deep knowing, you know, that our soul often has and, and leads us down paths that we might not otherwise go down. What, uh, for those who may not be familiar with, uh, with your work, what is life regression therapy? So I, I refer to it as past life regression or to some, they would view it as parallel life expressions because they say time is not real and it's all one lifetime. And certainly mm-hmm. on the other side, I took away the linear time. You know, it, it felt like there was no past, present past life, right? It's just all, yeah. but um, with past life regression, I personally utilize it. It's 
it's a great modality because I, I, as a child, I had a tremendous amount of horrors from press lifetime, and I wasn't able to kind of discern or validate, you know, that point. Um, and this leads to another question that I remember you asking as to why do I think this happened? But in a way, past life regression, I view as a very um, versatile kind of exercise in a sense that, you know, clients could come to me for just sheer entertainment purposes in a mm -hmm. group or individual session, or other people have unresolved, you know, kind of issues. And they've tried seeing a therapist like myself, they tried, you know, medication management. And for some reason, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck. And so the subconscious, you know, which is every thought, deed and action that's happened beyond this lifetime, I do believe in the conscious mind, which is aware of the here and now are not working with each other. And so I find passive aggression as a great tool to become aware of some stuff that might be stopping you from, uh, again, I'm not a doctor, but I've certainly seen mm -hmm. physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, mm -hmm. you know, kind of breakthroughs through the regression sessions. That's amazing. That is incredible work that you're doing for sure. Um, and so important for people to, to understand how it all kind of works together and that, you know, some, what would you say to the naysayers, people that don't believe in this stuff, people that don't believe, you know, there's another side, people that don't believe in tapping into a different life or understanding the quantum mechanics, so, so to speak, of time and space, you know, what would you say to them? I think being a skeptic is a great place to be in. There's a big differentiation with a skeptic and a cynic. Mm -hmm. So I encourage that. I'm a natural skeptic myself uh, because I mm -hmm. believe we want people to be empowered and to not just to buy into just someone like myself who's had this experiences because, you know, that becomes quite a dangerous place where you're holding on to every word and you don't experience it yourself. When you become a cynic, you close your eyes and heart to everything and there's no potentiality for breakthroughs. And so I think that skepticism is very important and that leads to discernment. I would say, even if it's all made up, um, just look at some of my clients and testimonials or, you know, the great Dr. Brian Weiss. I know mm -hmm. his daughter, I do believe, is a clinical social worker. And, you know, just kind of like a quick story. She was at one of his workshops because when you have Dr. Weiss as a dad, you probably see him as dad. Yeah. The great Dr. Brian Weiss, right. you know, right. many lives, many masters guy. And she attended it. And she had vision impairments and she had to almost get, I guess, cataract surgery or something along those lines. You would know better than I would, but um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no doctor. <laughs> but after the regression, she found that she was kind of burned in the eyes from a previous lifetime and her vision issues went away. And so that's just one of many different, you know, kind of case studies and breakthroughs. So even yeah. if it's, you know, all imaginative, there's, you know, there's positives from the work. At the very least, it's a very relaxing, kind of state that you're getting and a bit of a spa for the inner part of you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's great work. I love it. I love it. You know, it's not, so you speak in terms of, of, of seeing guides and angels on the other side and all that other stuff. But I did a Ted talk back in, I don't remember when, I think it was 2017, 2018, but I was trying to connect the dots between empowerment and how it was sort of Trans, transmitted over generations, because essentially within our DNA, we are storing our thoughts, our emotions, and so much more. And so much of it was maternally based because the maternal DNA doesn't really change. It goes down through uh, person to person over generations without too much alterations, uh, whereas the paternal DNA does have a lot of changes. And so my point was, is that if our thoughts and emotions and feelings 
and experiences are being stored essentially in like this massive computer that we all are, you know, how we feel today will impact the future generations, you know, and how what we do today will impact future generations. But it's kind of the same idea, right? That, that we are storing this, we have the power and the capacity to make changes. And we sort of have a little bit of a responsibility to change as well, not just for ourselves, but also for others. And all the lessons we're learning, you know, store in the subconscious, not just for right now, but they're actually storing into the subconscious for the future. So it is why, you know, it is the why sometimes why, you know, you'll see somebody has everything in life, but throws it all away or like they're, you know, they have addiction tendencies, but they had every opportunity in the world there. There is a lot to that storage subconscious and trying to help manage it. And I'm a huge believer in whatever tool we can get our hands on <laughs> to help folks understand how to master their subconscious, which is coming in from prior generations, you know, is is powerful. So if this is something that works. I think it's incredible. And I also think that that idea that that subconscious is coming in over time, you know, is is a story of responsibility. So if we mistreated people over time as communities or as cultures or things like that, then yes, it is an opportunity to change, to fix it and to restore balance and harmony. So random, random, but it just made me think of that talk I did, you know, a few years ago and how it connects. I love that. And, you know, I do believe, you know, kind of like what Darren, we're here to truly evolve the inner being of ourselves. Yeah. There's no necessarily need, but it's more of an expression you know, to just have a ripple effect. And so through every generation, we're able to take something and become aware, you know, of, of different moves to make different decisions that are more skillful towards growth and evolution. Uh, but also the significance of the brain, you know, because literally once my brain shut down and suffocated, it was when I was able to have all these experiences. And so hypnosis and past life regression really does work with the, with opening some of the deeper brainwave states mm. to be a great filter between the two realms so that we could be flow ready and to be really guided within our lifetimes and not just trying to be Mr. or Mrs. Atlas and doing it on our own accord. You know, so I think that's that's helpful to have an open brain. And there's many different modalities to get into the deeper brainwave states to clean out the filter. I love that. Um, well, I could talk about this forever. I love this topic. I think I think it's fascinating. And thank you for sharing your story with us. The book is Life After Breath, and it's being sold currently everywhere books are sold. If folks want to connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? They could go on my website. It's jacoblcooper.com. It's jacoblcooper.com. And there you, know, you could navigate the website and check out any individual service as well as book links on the site. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking time out today to join us. And for everybody else, remember there is life after breath. Thank you for watching this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Remember you can rate and review it and share it with your friends. We are on Apple iTunes and on Spotify. And if you screenshot your review and email it to me at hello at drtaz.com, you get a free bottle of boost. I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>